Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Fire and Ice Sports. As always, my name is Evan Smoke, and I am the resident fire on the podcast. I've moved out of my apartment here in Athens, and for the next two or three episodes, you will hear me coming live from a mobile studio, aka a trailer parked here, because I have to stay up here um, for obligations. Um, other than that, uh, three hours southeast of me, and fresh off uh, Savannah Bananas' walk-off win, is Mr. Localized Bryson Wheeler. Bryson. Let's talk a little bit about the show, uh, the recap of last night's Nanners game, and your feelings about le- me living in a trailer. Well, last night's Bananas game was so fun because, I mean, like, we were getting no hit until the ninth inning. I don't think anybody realized that. We were down 2 nothing. We almost hit a walk-off homer. would have been the first hit of the game. That would have been insane. But we ended up walking off. It was unreal. But I'm sitting here listening to Paul Feinbaum. And I want to mention something before we get into talking about the MLB. And he was on here talking with another guy about the Utah and Florida game. And I don't think this game's getting enough hype of how important it is week one for both programs. You've got Utah on one side who's looking at, I mean, conferences are looking at them for realignment, joining other conferences as well. Then you've got the recruiting aspect from it. But you also have a playoff contender, in my opinion, on Utah. Both of us think they're a playoff contender and our favorite picks to win the Pac-12 as well. And then on the other side, you've got Florida. It's Billy Napier's first game. A Pac-12 team's coming into your house, a top-10 team. It's huge for recruiting, huge to get off on the right step. But give us a little bit of thoughts about that game. Bro, that game is going to be the hidden gem of week one. And I feel like we've talked about it all offseason, even – immediately you know even before the national championship game and we kind of did that look uh, that look ahead podcast we've really circled this game as one of the sneaky best games on not only week one but the entire calendar this year and you know you keep mentioning the big 10 i think utah um in a possible realignment should go to the big 12 because they can continue not only keep you know closer geographical rivalries but you know also have an easier path to the to the playoffs you know but this game, even beyond that, is going to have major implications for this season alone. Billy Napier is going to have to have his squad ready, especially a lot of people are not going to be happy if Utah comes in and beats them at their own house. Now, obviously, no one's going to call for his head, but Florida is very protective of the swamp. Um, they're very, you know, we want to win here. It's their home turf, and Utah's going to be a huge test. Billy Napier could really start out his tenure with a bang or have a, leave a sour taste in some people's mouth, you know, after week one. Absolutely, and I'm not saying that it's do or die for either team. If Utah wins, I still think they can possibly make the playoffs. But if they win, they're on a great trajectory towards it. Florida, on the other hand, I think it's going to be a huge difference in whether they finish the season nine and three, eight and four, or will it be a six and six, seven and five season? I think that's a huge turning point for them. And I bought tickets to this game last night. That's one reason why it's fresh off my mind. I wanted to go enjoy it. It's going to be a great game, no matter what. I do pick Utah to win as of now, but we'll get into that in a, uh, probably two weeks from now when we mention Utah in our top 25, who both of us are really high on. But let's jump into the MLB real quick. And I just want to touch on a couple of things, mainly on the Braves. The first one is the Braves and the Mets race in the NL East is heating up. Going into yesterday, the Braves were only half had a chance to take the division. They did not, but... The Mets sit one and a half games ahead right here. The Mets have an off day today as the Braves get the – who do they – is it the Phillies we have? It's the Phillies. Yes, the Phillies. 
So, huge series here. The Mets are about to get the Yankees going to be, you know, the Subway Series. They're on Wednesday night baseball. I saw that. But the Braves have, you know, a favorable stretch right here with the Phillies and then the Diamondbacks. I'll be at two of the three, the Diamondbacks games. Then we get the Phillies again. Then the Mets for five games. It's a, a Thursday, Friday, two games on that Saturday, and then a Sunday. I mean, come August 8th, we have an off day after that series. You're going to know just about who's going to win this division. That is a huge two-week stretch right here for us. What are your thoughts on the Braves and Mets divisional race heating up? Well, it feels like every time we get a half game back, we lose a game we shouldn't, and I feel like that was a really great um, example of it yesterday. Ian Anderson had another tough outing. Um, I think I think it's re- legitimately time that someone in the front office decides if we're going to trade him or if we're going to send him to AAA. I'm always in favor of sending him to AAA for just a couple weeks because I think I think he's going to be a good arm for the for the playoffs, if he can just learn how to control that curveball, he seemed to lost it after last postseason. Send him down to AAA for a couple weeks. I don't think either him nor the Braves are really going to have a big fuss if they do it. They just need, you know, maybe make, let him miss a start or two, control himself in AAA, and let's move forward, you know. But I think, like you said, this next two weeks is going to be a big stretch for Braves baseball, especially that five-game series with the Mets. But my thinking is always, as always, and this is maybe the pessimist in me, you know, a little bit of the Georgia sports all of my life versus last year, I'd love to have a two- or three-game lead going into that series. And I think it's possible. While the Phillies are not a, not a pushover team, they're easily two out of three sweepable, I think. The Diamondbacks, who are doing better than everyone thought, I think they're sweepable two out of three, obviously. Um, and then, like you said, the Subway Series, the Yankees are probably the best team right now in baseball. So hopefully they can take two out of three from the Mets. And they got an off day today, so you really need to win today so you could drop it down to one game versus push it up to two. So I think great outlook. Um, got to make some trades probably due to Duval and Ozzy's injury, and I figured we'll talk about that right after this. But I'd, I think we need, we need a cushion going into that five-game series for sure. And you are absolutely correct. That is the next thing we're getting into, and I want to piggyback off your Ian Anderson thing. Ian has been really struggling lately. As I said, I agree. I think he needs to be sent down for you know a few weeks, figure something out. He has an above-average changeup, but the changeup was phenomenal when he first came up. I think he knows needs to go find that pitch again. He has a average fastball at best. And he needs to figure out that third pitch, whether it be the curveball, whether it's a slider, whether it's sinker, something else. He needs to get a really good put-away pitch for that third pitch because it seems like he gets late and deep into counts and he can't put anybody away. And he ends up either walking them or giving up a hit. I mean, he's averaging, I think it's 11 hits per nine innings. That's one of the worst in the MLB. It's terrible. His whip is like 1-6, 1-7 somewhere. You can't give up almost two base runners in it and be an effective pitcher. But that's where I get into with some potential trade targets for the Braves. And I split this two tiers. I have Tier 1 and Tier 2. And it's mainly just made up of starting pitchers and some outfielders with guys who maybe can play second as well while Ozzy Albies is out and Duvall is out for the year, as you mentioned. But Tier 1, let me hit the starting pitchers. I have two. is Tyler Molly and Chad Cole. Both of them are guys, Molly, I think his ERA is about a 4-5 right now, but his expected ERA is a whole point and a half lower than that. His expected ERA is 3. He's just had some bad luck 
you know, people finding hits with some low exit velos, you can't help that as a pitcher sometimes when they just hit it where nobody is. Chad Cole, on the other hand, having a pretty solid season. But some outfielders with some guys who can play second base that I think we will really target. Two guys for the Royals are Whit Merrifield and Andrew Benintendi. I texted in our group chat yesterday when we heard the Duval news. I said, I think we go get Whit Merrifield. Merrifield is a guy who has been struggling this year. He's hitting around 240 with like five homers, not much power. But he's a guy who's going to be able to play every day. As I mentioned in a podcast earlier, he had like the Ironman streak, the longest active games played streak. He did break that. But he's a guy who's going to be able to play day in, day out, like I said. Maybe he can play some second when Ozzy's out and play some outfield while Duvall's out and just rotate between the two and platoon him, Arcia at second, and then him and Rosario in the outfield. Andrew Benintendi is a dude who has tons of potential. I'd love to see the Braves go after him. Young guy, still with lots of potential. I trust that we can develop him better for his future. Two other or three other outfielders that I have are Trey Mancini, who is a guy the Orioles have looked at for trading forever. Now, do I think that the Orioles are going to sell? I'm not sure. The Orioles have surprisingly become playoff contenders the last couple weeks. Two other guys, David Peralta and Ian Happ who are having some pretty solid seasons. I think they would be able to fit in the outfield well. Maybe Peralta could give us something that second. Who knows? But what are your thoughts on that tier one? Yeah, I, out of those two, I would go either Hap, Benintendi, or Merrifield. I think those three are probably your best. And as much as I like either starting pitcher, I feel like if you're going to go for it, we need to swing for it. And I try to go get Luis Castillo out of Cincinnati. I understand it'd be a bigger return. I don't know if he's a rental or a contract. I haven't looked that far in. But I think Castillo might be a guy over those two that you mentioned. Again, my baseball knowledge is a little little less than yours, uh, to say it lightly. So if, if, you feel, if you feel that way, I trust your opinion. But just what I've seen, I would take Castillo. But obviously, we both know that both of us love Whit Merrifield. I, ben Attendee's a young guy that you could bank on for years if maybe Eddie Rosario doesn't work out this year and next. But I, I'm i of the idea of to go get Merrifield or Hap. I think those two are going to be the easiest combinations we can get, you know, to propel ourselves for the future. And, you know, a lot of people will talk about a possible Otani trade. I'm not in the market for it unless you can steal him, obviously. I'm not selling the future to get that guy because no matter how great he is, which I know – He's phenomenal. I saw him Friday night. He struck out 11 people before he immediately shut down and gave up seven runs in one of the worst innings of his ever career so far. But I just am not ready to sell the farm for it. Well, that's one thing about Otani and Soto, why I do not think we're contenders for either, is because we have a very depleted farm system. We rank 30th in the MLB. Now, I do believe we just had a pretty good draft, and we're going to you know, build off that and Probably be ranked around 25 maybe next year in farm system rankings, somewhere around there. But that is why I don't think we'll go after some of these big guys and why I think other guys such as Whit Merrifield, David Peralta, Ian Happ are a lot more reasonable. Whit Merrifield's going to be very cheap. I mean, he's going to be a guy, as we saw last year when we acquired Solaire and some of the other guys, We that was like we gave a pack of crackers for him, it felt like. And I feel like that's what we get in Whit Merrifield. I, we make him get cash for Merrifield. He's been struggling this year. He's an older guy. But like I said, he's going to play. 
He can play second. He can play the outfield. He's going to get on base, steal bases for you. I think he'd fit in perfect. Now, let And that is where I have Luis Castillo. My tier two is some bigger names, but guys that I do not see us making that big of a push for, but I could see us going after. And Luis Castillo is the number one name on there. Castillo is a great pitcher, high 90s, even hits 100 with his fastball, has a great changeup. He's been a really good pitcher for the Reds the last few years, low three ERA, high twos even some years. I do not think we're that big of uh, contenders on Castillo. I have somebody else who's been telling me that we should go after Castillo. I just don't see it. I don't know if we have what it takes. I don't know if the Braves are looking for that really good of a pitcher either because you've got to think, we have Freed, Wright, and Strider who all have three or sub-three ERAs and pitching really good. We have Morton at the four who's been lots out over the past month or two. He had that one bad start, two starts ago, but bounced right back. But we do not have an established fifth starter right now with Ian Anderson struggling. And I think we're kind of looking for a back end of the guy, not going for that number one stud. But a couple other pitchers that I have we might go after is Martin Perez from the Rangers and Frankie Montes from the A's. Montes from the A's I think would be a great pickup, 3-2-2 ERA this year. I would love to see him in a Braves uniform. I think we could get him for fairly cheap in the low market A system. But we'll see about that. And two other infield, outfield guys that we might acquire are Brian Reynolds from the Pirates. I would love to see him. He is a very underrated player, one of the most underrated players in baseball. And Brandon Jury, who has been playing some great baseball this year, has 18 homers and 54 RBIs, was a borderline all-star. Probably should have been an all-star. What are your thoughts on some of the guys from Tier 2? Yeah, like you said, I, I kind of like where you started saying, like, these are bigger guys that we could go after but don't see it exactly. Um, some of those, I mean, really now, if we start dealing pieces, you're going to have to start – you could start with Ian Anderson. You know, you could go down to AAA and you could try to move Muller or Elder, both of which I would be opposed to, especially with Muller. I, I like Kyle Muller a lot. Um, I think he's going to do great for the future. And then after that, you got to start looking at some of your, you know, your 2020 draft pick, Jared, what was his name, Schwamp or Schwemek or something. He was a pitcher, Jared Schuster maybe. Yeah, he's a really yeah. good guy in double-A so far for Mississippi this year. Um, and then there's Vaughn Grissom, who just moved up to double-A, who's your number one shortstop prospect. He's probably your number one prospect left in your farm system. So I would be very disgruntled to move away from them unless you were getting a Notani or a Soto or someone that I knew – who was going to be an immediate, long-term, great impact. And I think Braden Shoemake – go ahead. Well, that's what I'm saying. Braden Shoemake, too. Yeah. That's another guy I could definitely see us moving on from. And if we do move on from Shoemake, I think that shows that the Braves are definitely going to re-sign Dansby because I feel like we're keeping him around just in the case that we don't get Dansby back. He's asking for too much money. If you see him leave, Dansby's coming back. All right, well, the next question I have is where will one – and I did some mock trades earlier today, and I'm about to share them. And the first one that I will get to is the team that I think that he's going to go to. I think they're the front runners. Nobody else does, but I do. And it is the New York Yankees. And people can disagree with that. That's fine. People don't understand what the Yankees have to give up. They have – Tons of really good prospects, and 
I'm, they have some young good players such as Glaber Torres as well. I'm trying to pull up their prospects list because I have a mock trade real quick. And the well, national- when was the last time that when was the last time the Yankees acquired somebody really good? Think about it. They had Judge, Giancarlo signed. Um, you know, a lot of these people sign with them and not get traded, so their prospect system can actually build up. Oh, their prospect system is phenomenal. Uh, Anthony Volpe is one of the best prospects in all of baseball, shortstop. I have him in this trade. Their number one prospect. The next guy is Oswald Peraza. I have him in here as well. I also have their number three, Jason Dominguez. I have their top three prospects who are really, really, really good players, all expected to be in the major leagues in the next year or two. I have all three of them, and I also have Glaber Torres in this as well for the Yankees. And on the other side, I have the Nationals trading Patrick Corbin, so the Yankees mm-hmm. with his contract. I have them trading Harris out of the bullpen. I don't even know who this is. It was just more contract eat. And then Juan Soto. The Yankees, they always eat contracts, buy contracts. They have all the money in the world. But they finally have a farm system to do it. Now, if they acquire Soto, can they re-sign Judge in the offseason? I'm not sure. They may let Judge walk if they get Soto. But that's fine. They're going all out this year. But what are your thoughts on this first trade? It would be insane to see an outfield of Stanton, Soto, and, and Judge. That would be that would be a killer in itself. But I think it's a dangerous move. But I like it, and I and I do agree with you. I think the Yankees are the number one team to go get Soto. I don't understand who could offer more and be more prestigious because Soto's going to want to go play somewhere. I know a lot of people. <laughs> Say he's young to have some pull, and obviously he will. He really won't have that much. But, dog, when you grow up and you're a baseball player in Washington, D.C., you want to go to a hub. You want to go to a Chicago or a New York or an L.A. He wants to be somewhere where this game is enthralled, where he could be in that big city atmosphere. And I think Yankees are the ones to do it. Look at the rest of the list. The list is what, the Angels, the Dodgers, the Mets, the White Sox or something? I mean, he, they these big city teams want to bring that – that guy, that star power to their rosters because, one, they have the money to do it, and, two, they have the ability to do it because of their prospects. Well, here's the only other team in my that can give up more than what I just named, and it's the Cardinals, who are the odds-on favorite to land Juan Soto as of now. And the first player I have them giving up is Dylan Carlson, outfielder. He's already up in the major leagues. I think he's 23 years old, though. Very good player. Just got caught up like a year ago. A couple other guys that I have are – where's Gorman? I'm trying to find them on the prospect list. Okay, I have them giving up Matthew Liberator, their number one prospect, Jordan Walker, their number two prospect, and Mason Wynn, their number four prospect, all along with Dylan Carlson, just for Juan Soto. But this draft trade value tracker thing says that it's an even trade. I couldn't even get there quite with the Yankees, even though I think that the Yankees will acquire him. The Cardinals get there with this. What are your thoughts on him going to the Cardinals, possibly? I understand that the concern, and it'd be a good move by St. Louis. St. Louis really hasn't had a star guy. In a long time. I know they have Arenado right now, but he seems to be kind of getting overshadowed. Um, well, I guess I guess Goldie's there, right? About yeah, that. Goldie's having a great year. Yeah, he is. I forgot about that. But still, they, they, they're, they've been forgotten. You know, them and the Giants owned the early 2010s of baseball, but I feel like the Cardinals have been forgotten. 
this trade to reunite Arenado, Goldschmidt, and Soto could, could bring them back to the forefront of the NL. So I get why you make the move. They do have firepower, but I, I still think I see him going to a big city, one of those big baseball hubs versus St. Louis. All right. Well, maybe here's a little bit of a big, bigger one that you think. And I have a three-team trade between the Nationals, Padres, and Twins. I have the Nationals giving up Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Bell goes to the Twins, Soto to the Padres. Well, the Padres are the big winner here, as I say, getting Soto. They also get Kenta Maeda to eat up some of the cap that they need to just to acquire Soto probably. But the Nationals get Mackenzie Gore, who is a great prospect. Yes. Rob Hazel, who's the Padres' number one prospect. They get Jackson Merrill and James Wood, who are the Padres' three and four prospects. And they also get the Twins' number two prospect. The Twins get Josh Bell, and they get a reliever out of the bullpen from the Padres. So what are your thoughts on this possible three-team trade with Soto going to the Padres, Josh Bell to the Twins? It'd be an interesting thing. You really don't see multi-team trades in the MLB as much as you do in, like, the NBA. But I think it could work. Um, I feel like... In that possible trade, I get it. The Nationals get all the future return, but I feel like the Nationals are going to want at least somebody major league ready, you know, in that trade or is already up. Um, so I think that's the one tweak I'd make. Somebody who's been established, and I, and I don't know somebody off the top of my head. Obviously, it wouldn't be like a Tutties or a Byron Buxton or someone like that, but maybe someone a little less cachet, but that's a good player that the Nationals plug and play for the rest of the year. One name that I kept throwing around in it and looking at was Jake Cronenworth, but I feel like Cron- yeah. I think he's 29, and I'm not sure if the Nationals really want to take up him because Cronenworth's a really good player, and if you get him, he's probably going to be a lot of the trade, maybe even the main piece of the trade. So I'm not sure if they want to go after him, like I said, 29, and they're four or five years out from contending at least. But the last team that I want to throw in is the Giants. And they would acquire Soto and Corbin. Corbin, like I've been saying, to eat the contract. And the Nationals would get the Giants' as number one, two, three, and five prospects. Marco Luciano, the shortstop, leading that for the Giants. But what do you feel about him possibly going to the Giants? So that's another big hub that I forgot to mention. That seems like something that could also work. You know, I think he's going to go – I don't know. The Soto so confusing just because he didn't take that contract. So you know he's going to score on just want massive money, you know, this offseason. So I don't know. And all these trades make sense, but just I'm trying to figure – he's got to go to a place where someone's going to open up the – paycheck, write him a blank check and said, here, fill it in. And that's why I think the Yankees probably make the most sense. Absolutely. All right. Well, do you have anything else on the MLB before we jump into college football? It's Max Reed Day to all those who celebrate. Yes, sir. I have a meeting that hopefully will be over by then, but probably not. But I will be able to watch some of the later part of the game. Let's get into some college football, and we are working our way down our top 25, and we are hitting number 15, 14, 13, 12, and 11 today. So let's hit number 15, Wake Forest, 7-3. Dave Clawson, as the head coach, had a really good year. 
I do not know much about this team outside of Sam Hartman, who's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He is a top five, probably top five quarterback, if not that top 10 quarterback in the nation. A.T. Perry at receiver had one of the best years of any receiver in the nation. He returns at wide receiver, redshirt junior. He's looking to build off that. That duo right there will be a top five quarterback wide receiver duo in the nation. But what are your thoughts on Wake Forest football this year? Well, really great beginning of the year, long, long running undefeated streak um, that kind of stumbled right down at the end. You know, like I said, I think they were eleven and zero and finished eleven and three. So not the best, not the best finish there, but really, really proud of what Dave Clawson did. I think they're going to continue that this year. Um, probably have another, you know, ten and two, nine and probably ten and two season. You know, I haven't looked at their schedule, but that's just an early guess. That's what it sounds like. Um, but I'm really excited for the future of Wake Forest. You know, they've, they've established themselves as a really great um, dominating force in the state. And I understand NC State's poised for a great year, too. But for recruiting-wise, that's huge because Duke and North Carolina and East Carolina aren't doing that well football-wise right now. So a win over NC State this year would be huge for recruiting and for the future of this program. All right. Well, let's jump to number 14. And it's a team that I am a lot higher on than you I'm not sure where you had them ranked, but I had them inside my top 10. So, But they evened off at 14, so you must have them a lot lower. But it is the Ole Miss Rebels. And I understand they lost their quarterback and their top three receivers from last year. But they returned so much other than that, and they got a lot of really solid transfers to come in. They get Jackson Dart at quarterback to come in. Really, excuse me, really highly touted quarterback coming out of high school. They also have Luke Altmaier. If he doesn't work out, Luke Altmaier played a little bit in their bowl game last year, looked pretty solid. And at receiver, they do return some guys with a lot of talent, such as Malik Keith, who was a former almost five-star. Jonathan Mingo, who had a lot of playing time last year, and Jalen Robinson, who also had some good playing time. At running back, they have Zach Evans, who's one of the best running backs in the nation if he can stay out of trouble. If he can stay out of trouble, this offense will be really, really solid because we know that uh, Lane Kiffin can call plays with the best of them. They also get Michael Trigg to transfer in at tight end. The defense, not the best as we've seen from them the last few years. They do not always have the best defense, but they do get a couple of transfers, one from uh, Auburn, J.J. Pegas, the defense tackle, and Troy Brown. So what are your thoughts on this Ole Miss football team, and why do you have them so much lower than me? Well, Ole Miss – is the team of if this works, we're going to win. If this doesn't work, we're going to fail. Um, so this is how I view this team. You've got a quarterback who was so highly touted that immediately when the coach got there, he removed him. You've got a running back who can't literally pass a class or not get called to cops on him every uh, probably three weeks. Beyond all of that, you've got three wide receivers who had meaningful time, who did not have – who did not start consistently under a new offensive coordinator when the best offensive coordinator in the country just left to go to Oklahoma. Your defense is worse you've had in years. Oh, and by the way, you have to play in the SEC West. So there's a lot of potential on this team, and this team is either going to be very boom or bust. I'm rocking with the bust just because there's so many questions. And when you got to play in a loaded division like the SEC West, when there's – there's already three, four more established teams. I think it's going to be difficult 
they're going to have to win some games that I don't think they can. They're going to, and they might lose some games that they should win. This team is always very non-scripted um, in the last couple of years, especially under Lane Kiffin. That seems how any of his programs go, but I've got high hopes. But when Lane Kiffin has been signing golf balls or mustard bottles all off season, and he's not really done everything, I think, to bolster that defense, which I think is going to be their Achilles heel, I was a little bit lower. I had them at like 21-22 coming into this year. Yeah, and you see, I think they finished second in the SEC West right behind Alabama. I think they finished ahead of A&M, who is a team that I'm not that high on, and definitely finishing ahead of teams such as Mississippi State, Auburn, Arkansas, who are on LSU. I think they finish all ahead of those. I think they break themselves from the middle of the pack right there. You've got Alabama at the top. You've got probably Auburn and Mississippi State at the bottom, and then you've got those few mill teams. I think they break away and join that top tier this year. We'll see. Like you said, they're a team with a lot of boom, a lot of bust potential as well. Let's jump into Georgia's number one opponent, week one opponent, and it is Oregon. They are our number 13 team, and it is a team that I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on a little bit. Georgia is a 17-point favorite week one. Now, do I think that Georgia's going to lose? No. I think they're going to win by 17. No. This Oregon team, their defense especially, is way too good for that, in my opinion. But they also get Bo Nix to transfer in at quarterback. And for as much as we hate on Bo Nix, now I know we give him heck sometimes. Bo Nix is a top 30 quarterback in the country, maybe even top 20. He's that guy who can just make some weird, crazy plays and go win you ball games sometimes. I think that he may can bring some magic week one. I don't think they beat Georgia. I don't think they have much chance at all. But I think they do lose by about 10 to 14, a lot closer than that 17-point margin right there. Now, they do lose Diet running back. They lose some of their receivers. They do return Troy Franklin at receiver, though, who's going to be a really solid receiver for them. On the defensive side, they have Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, two linebackers, two of the best in the country, maybe the best linebacker duo in the country. And that's why their defense is going to be really solid. They have a strong veteran secondary, veteran up front, besides one freshman at defensive end. They have three seniors other than him on the D-line. What are your thoughts on this veteran defense? And surprisingly, I think going to be pretty solid offense. And what is your thoughts on week one, Georgia, Oregon? Well, Let's get this out the way. Oregon's not beating Georgia week one, not because of the talent desperation, but I, I would be very, very, very shocked if Dan Lanning, our former defensive coordinator, his first game ever took down Kirby. Uh, so that that game I feel like is a wash regardless. The 17-point spread is a lot. I think it's possible we cover it. I don't know if I'd bet it, but I would expect us to. Um, my biggest thing with um, Oregon this year is – they're gonna. They're probably gonna be two in the, two or three in the Pac-12, depending on Utah and USC. You know, that's kind of how it's gonna play out. Dan Lanning is a fine coach. He's been very big X and O's. He knows how to motivate people. He'll make sure that defense is stacked. You know, and you talked about the linebacker duo. Dan Lanning's specialty is linebackers. He's gonna have those guys ready to rock and roll week one and all. The offense is what worries me. You lose your best running back. You lose a lot of a lot of your wide receivers. I understand Franklin is back. He's going to be fine. He's going to be a great number one target. Bo Nix was still getting second team reps until about halfway through the summer, and I still don't think a starter has been named for week one either. So, as much as we like Bo Nix and we fully expect him to be the starter by week one, 
let's not forget the other guy that was Ty Thompson or something. I can't remember his yeah. name. Right. Mm-hmm. So Dan Lanning has not made a decision. Bo Nix is obviously not blowing people out of the water in practice. If Ty Thompson is still getting some first team reps. My thing is this. I understand Bo Nix has that one game every year. And if he has that game in Atlanta uh, week one, it could get a lot closer than people think. I think this team is going to go behind the direction of its quarterback, whether that's Thompson or Nix. We fully expect it to be Nix, but I'm not ruling out Thompson just yet. I think this team is poised to have a really good year. They'll probably win the North because Utah's in the South. I don't see Washington or Stanford or California or Oregon State or anybody really like that to challenge them. Um, so they're going to be in the Pac-12 championship. I met, I imagine they'll get a chance to maybe go to a New Year's Six. If not, go probably to the Las Vegas Bowl, which is the next best bowl for the Pac-12. I think they're going to have a good year. Landing's going to do good there. I just think they're about one year away from serious playoff contention. I'd expect maybe at 11-2, and two, you know, something season like that. All right, well, let's get into number 12, and it's the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who had a really solid season last year under Mike Gundy. They went 12-2. and two. It was probably their best season under Mike Gundy, in my opinion. They were a play away from making the playoffs. They have they do return Spencer Sanders at quarterback. Spencer Sanders is a guy who I'm going to hate on right here. He is very careless with the ball. What do you have, four turnovers in the Big 12 championship or whatever? I, yeah, his tur- touchdown turnover ratio is terrible. He is not real accurate with the ball. They lose a lot at receiver. They do return Richardson at running back, really good running back. And on the defensive side, you know they're going to have talent. But, see, they lost Jim Knowles, who was their defense coordinator, one of the best in the nation. He went to Ohio State to be their D.C., which will be a huge boost for Ohio State, in my opinion. But Oklahoma State loses them, as I said. The offense should be solid. The defense should be solid. But will it be enough to be a playoff contender again? I do not think so. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff contender, but I still think they're a Big 12 title contender. But I think the Big 12 10 oh, – excuse me, the Big 12 10. The Big 12 is the biggest wide open race out of any conference right now, I feel like. Um, I feel like every other conference you could probably mark down to two or three teams. I think there's four or five teams that can win the Big 12 this year. Um, Oklahoma State's probably got to be the odds-on favorite. They should have won it last year. And they return, you know, a, a good quarterback. I wouldn't, I'm not going to call him great. He's good. Defense is going to take a hit. I don't care how much they return. If you lose Jim Knowles, you're definitely going to have a step back and some regression. Um, they're going to be fine. It's going to be a challenging year, man. Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas State even could sneak around and make maybe make a run at this thing. Um, they're a sneaky good pick, um, underrated. So I think this is going to be a really deep league, deep as in everyone's going to be kind of near each other. Um, so Oklahoma State's going to have a tougher t- – tougher task to talk tall this year um, versus last year where they were just a football away from making the playoffs. All right. Well, number 11 is a team that surprised many, many people besides their one blowout loss against Ohio State last year. And is the Mel Tucker-led Michigan State Spartans. They were playoff contenders at one point. But they are loaded with transfers on both sides of the ball. I mean, I can't believe this when I'm looking at it. They have one, two, three, four, five, six starters on offense who have transferred in, and they have one, two, three, four, five on defense. So 11 of their 22 starters on both sides of the balls have transferred in at some point in their career. 
But let's start at quarterback, Peyton Thorne. I know he's probably one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, if you want to say, but he is not really talented, in my opinion. They have Jalen Berger, who returns at running back, but they also get Jarek Broussard, who's a really solid running back, probably top 20 in the nation. They have Trey Mosley return at, at wide receiver. On the defensive side, they have Chris Bogle, who transfers in from Florida. Bogle is a guy with tons of uh, potential, just never quite produced at Florida, wanted a new start. If he can produce at what he's capable of, he will be a beast for them on the D-line. And then in the secondary, they have transfers in Chester Kimbrough and Amir Speed, who both came from Georgia, correct? Correct. So this team is loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. I think they possibly can surprise some people. Mel Tucker does a great job. You know he's going to have this defense ready, as we've mentioned. What are your thoughts on this Michigan State team? Well, Nick Saban is probably the king of the recruiting trail. Mel Tucker's probably the king of the transfer portal. He, he lives and loves that that piece of property. He be, he exploited it way before anyone else had. We saw it last year with Kenneth Walker coming up for Wake Forest. He's done it again this offseason, and he's kind of become the blueprint for bigger schools to follow. That's why Michigan State went from, you know, a little rough stretch there these those last couple of years of D'Antoni to now. Um, I'm excited for the future. Uh, Mel Tucker, you know, was in high contentions to talk with that LSU job and signed a massive extension. He wants to make um, his home there in uh, Lansing, and I think he can do that. Um, it's got to start this year. Just like you said, we think they could su- surprise some people. Um, going to be another great, you know, it's a rivalry in Michigan, another great game with Ohio State. Um, they're going to have to win some tough games, but they can definitely do it with the talent they have on the roster. 11's a really good spot for them. I'd probably put them at 10-2, and two, losing both, uh, but sweeping everybody else. Is that kind of where you're feeling on them? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be a really solid team. Mel Tucker's not going to lose many games that he shouldn't because he's going to have that team ready to play week in, week out. You do have veteran quarterback in Peyton Thorne who's not going to make many mistakes. Now, is he ultra-talented? No. But they can run the ball. They can control the ball. They can run the clock, not make turnovers, and this defense will keep them in games and maybe even beat some teams that they – shouldn't now are they going to beat Ohio State no I don't think so because Ohio State is going to score way too many points and Peyton Thorne cannot keep up with CJ Stroud but can they go 10 and 2 like you said you know maybe be in some outside playoff talks possibly we will get into our top 10 it gets really spicy in my opinion there's a team as we have mentioned in this podcast for Utah that both of us are very high on and I think you're going to want to stick around and listen to why I will get into that. I've been digging deep on them, very deep the last few weeks. But do you have anything else before we jump into our bold predictions? Yes, two things. Um, one in college football, and then two I want to touch on some basketball. Uh, one, the biggest thing came out of media day I felt this week was Kirby Smart calling for the Georgia-Florida game to be moved out of Jacksonville. It'll become a home-and-home, home, which hasn't happened since 1930 outside of two years in the 90s when construction was happening at Everbank Field and they decided to do a home-at-home instead for those two years. With all of that being said, what are your thoughts on it? I have some thoughts on it, but I just want to get your feelings and opinions first before we before I unleash my rant. I don't have many thoughts on it because I don't think it's going to be moved out in the near future, but I don't want it to be moved. I think it's a great place to have it you know I know it's a little closer to Gainesville but it's a nice meeting spot it's the closest you can get to a middle spot neutral site 
It's still not a far drive for Georgia at all. It's a great atmosphere, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I've been six times. Funnest game that I've ever been to. Why do you want to change it? But give us your thoughts. Well, I think there's three reasons why, as much as I love Kirby, he was stupid for saying that. One, it is the closest connection to South Georgia that Athens ever gets. And South Georgia is riddled with Georgia fans, and they want to go to games just as much as anybody in Atlanta or Macon or Augusta or Columbus, but it's four and a half hours for people where we live. Georgia, Florida is only an hour and a half. At most, for any part of South Georgia, it's probably two. It's it's where people in the southern half of the state can go, you know, and it's so iconic in Jacksonville. We're talking close to 90 years of games there, you know, if you exclude the two years in the 90s like we talked about. Plus, I understand the commitment about, well, when Alabama and Auburn play each other, they can host recruits when they get to play them at home. Kirby, you've got a top three recruiting class every year. Clearly, it's not hurting you, dog. Like, no. you're, you're not being affected by it. And if Florida wants that opinion, then Billy Napier should be saying that. And he's clearly not. He wants to experience the game. It's a phenomenon. It's what, you know, you look at St. Simons and the tourism and the business they get. You look at Jacksonville that weekend. You look at South Georgia. You look at people you know, who live in these beach homes on the coast who get to rent out and make so much money that we get. It's a, it's not only a football and a cultural thing, it's an economical boost for the entire state. And to take it away, and again, this is just petty, but there's a, and I, and I don't know how you feel, but I can promise you, anytime I see a Florida fan, when they're very rare and few in between and they wear blue and orange at Sanford Stadium, I want to kick them. And I imagine if red and black was in Ben Hill Griffith, you know, you guys wouldn't have you guys would have the same opinion. It's I don't want those. I don't want Florida in Athens, and I don't think Florida fans want Bulldogs in Gainesville. You know, we meet there because it's a neutral site, and we don't got to deal with each other when we go home at night. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's a good point right there because it's already rowdy enough if you ever been in Jacksonville. It would be ten times worse at either part. But the best point you brought up, I think, is the recruiting aspect. It's not hurting Kirby. He's bringing in number one recruiting classes every year. I think it would hurt him more than it would help if he moved to uh, home and home because that year it goes to Florida. What happens to all the big recruits who go to that game? And let's say we beat y'all. I mean, that could really hurt Kirby because a lot of the recruits we go after are the same. And do you want to open up that door and that possibility for Florida bringing in these top three classes? Because that hurt, that will hurt Georgia if we start bringing in top three classes. Absolutely. Why change anything? Keep it going, what you're doing, because it's clearly working. Yes. So that's my piece. Just wanted to get that out on the on the airwaves. Um, so don't change it. I don't I don't want to see a Florida fan in my bars. I don't want to see a Florida fan in my city. You know, unless they're here to visit some friends. You know, I don't want to watch a game. Because there would be nothing worse if Florida came to Athens and beat our tail, and then I had to go back to my town, and I had to see all that blue and orange cheering in my city. And I feel it would be the same way for the people down in Florida if Georgia went down there and just, you know, smacked y'all, and y'all had to go back home to your apartments and your homes that night, and you had to see red and black fans, you know, cheering up and down the streets. Nobody likes it. At least in Jacksonville, we go our separate ways, and nobody, you know, hopefully the damage is limited, you know? Um, so beyond that basketball wise, two things that came out this week, the Utah jazz are open to trading Donovan Mitchell, which a lot of people thought was not going to happen after the Rudy Gobert, you know, heist that they pulled in Minnesota. Um, and another thing is the Kevin Durant trades. We're in week four. Now the Boston Celtics have entered the conversation 
including a package centered around Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is, excuse me, always feel, always included in trade packages, and it seems today that with his comment and some reports that he is not happy with the front office. Let's give your comments on both of those two, and when will Jalen Brown come home to Atlanta to be a Hawk? <laughs> you could only wish. I mean, if he went to be a Hawk, that would be a heck of a pickup. I think that the Kevin Durant sweepstakes are just is crazy right now. Asking for Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, and like three other first round picks. I'm like, that that's not gonna happen. They offered you Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a first. Now, is that enough? Uh, it, it, it's close. Yeah, Probably not. I mean, Kevin Durant is 34, though. What's that? You could figure it out from there. Absolutely. You, you can build on that, but you need to quit asking for two more really good players and two more dr- first round draft picks for that. It's not gonna happen. Celtics aren't going to do that. Feel bad for Jason T- oh, I mean, uh, Jalen Brown, as you mentioned. But the Donovan Mitchell stuff, I'm kind of surprised. But it does make sense, in my opinion. If you're going to get go get rid of Gobert, get all that draft capital you got, go ahead and get rid of Mitchell, get a lot more draft capital, rebuild. Kind of do an Oklahoma City Thunder rebuild right now. I mean, you can't see it yet, but it is about to really start working for the Thunder. I love the young pieces they're bringing in. They still have 27 first-round picks over the next five years, it feels like. I don't know how many it is. It's a ton. But I love what they're doing. I can see them going a similar route as of that. But do you have anything else on that before we get into our bold predictions? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say um, that Donovan Mitchell ends up with the New York Knicks and the Knicks get fleeced. Um, and Kevin Durant – will be a net at the beginning of this season. That's my prediction. Okay. I, I predicted Kevin Durant to be a net a couple podcasts ago. So I can definitely agree with that. And Mitchell – or the Knicks are the odds-on favorite, I think, to land Mitchell as of right now. I'm not sure on that, though. But my bold prediction is by the end of this week, Whit Merrifield will be an Atlanta Brave. And I think we give up Trey Harris for him. Not Michael Harris. Don't get it confused. Trey Harris. He's been in our minor league system for many years. He's 26 years old. I don't see it going to work out at any time for him to get caught up. We can move him. Maybe he can find it better, you know, there. I see Whit Merrifield being in Atlanta Brave by the end of the week, and we do not give up much at all, in my opinion, for him. And I'm going to love it because Whit. While he is getting older and is not the great player he used to be, he was the most underrated players in baseball a few years ago, one of my favorite players to watch. As I said, he's going to be in the lineup every day. He can play second. He can play outfield really good defensively, going to get on base, going to steal bases. What more do you need? He can go bat seven or eight for you, hit to, hit his 240, hit his homer every three or four weeks, whatever he wants to do. But as long as he's in that lineup consistently, playing good defense and getting on base pretty often, it's going to be a great pickup for the Braves, and we're going to be World Series contenders again. What are your thoughts on that before I wrap up? I agree with both of them. Um, you know, but my my uh, my bold prediction, um, and it's a little long term, a little less bold, but I like our pitching. We've been pitching better outside of Ian Anderson. I'm going to come out and say by the end of the season, there will be one brave pitcher to throw a no-hitter. We have I don't know the last time the Braves have thrown a no-hitter. It's been two or three years, I think. 
Um, we've had a lot of close calls, but I don't think we've actually thrown one complete in the last two or three years. I think by the end of this season, we do it. Um, and I'd probably put my money on the rookie, Spencer Strider. Okay. Now, I don't know. If, see, like, that's the Braves' problem right now. The pitchers just can't go that many innings, especially Strider. He's kind of been struggling with um, – I just got to update. Justin Ross is out for the year for the Chiefs. I just feel bad for the kid. He can't stay healthy after all the problems that he had. But back on that, the Braves pitching staff just they can't they really struggle with pitch counts outside of Max Freed, in my opinion. So if anybody does it, I think it's gonna be Freed because Strider's gonna have to throw 140 pitches to do it. Ian Anderson would have to throw two hundred and fifty if he wanted to. If that <laughs> Yeah. But um, I mean, I like it. I could definitely see it. I'm surprised we haven't seen more no hitters this year. I felt like last year we saw oh, so many. Yeah, but this year I feel like there's only been like two or three. Yeah. Do you have any last words though before we wrap up? Bring Jalen Brown to Atlanta, and bring Whit Merrifield to Atlanta. Go Braves. Go Hawks. Go Falcons. <laughs>